Happy Holidays from the DSR Network. We are deeply appreciative of our members and the year that we've had. To celebrate the holiday season, we are offering a 50% discount on either your first month or first year of membership. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the members-only Slack community, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of December, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month or for the first year. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSRHOLIDAY at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSRHOLIDAY. Thank you very much for your support. Welcome to the Secret Life of Cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Hello there, and thanks for joining me today. My guest is best-selling author Laura Belgrave, and her book, Tough Titties, Living Your Best Life When You're the Effing Worst, yes, you heard me, is a coming-of-age memoir that is literally top of the charts in humor. You'll also realize that Laura and I work together at Nickelodeon, you'll quickly realize this, uh, but haven't talked in about a dog's age, so join us, join the conversation. Uh, I'll be making brown sugar cookies, and Laura will be watching, because apparently she only knows how to make salad. Uh, Before we get there, uh, a bit of housekeeping. All the recipes for the podcast and links can be found on my Substack newsletter at marissarothkopf.substack.com. You can support my work with a subscription for $5 a month, or if that's not possible yet, you can subscribe for free. And don't forget to join the Deep State Radio as a member for special perks. Either way, I am grateful for your support. Hello. And welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. I have a very special guest on today. I mean, all my guests are special, but you, Laura Belgray, are really special. Because I, people out there in, um, well, TV land, um, I've known Laura Belgray for a long, long time. And Laura Belgray has written a book. And a book is called Tough Titties. And we're going to talk to her today about why she called her book Tough Titties. And just sort of saying tough titties to a lot of things. Um, Laura Belgray, welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. Welcome to my kitchen on this evening in December. Thank you so much, Marissa. I'm glad to be here, and I really like your backsplash. Thank you very much. I have an attractive uh, multicolored sort of aqua tones, would you say? You do. Of of different colors of tile. Um, You are not a world-famous baker or cook by any means, but you're... Your husband actually is a well-known cook in the New York City scene. He is a restaurant, in the re- restaurant, restaurant person because um, he's always been f- front of the house. Like I am, I would say, a, a world-renowned non-cook, and mm-hmm. um, and he is known within these these four walls um, for being a very good cook, but. No one. That's that's kind of a secret. And he's all. He oh, was sh- always. He was always Mister Front of the House, um, manager, GM, partner, director of ops, the person who has to pretend he knows your name when you come in. Oh, okay. That explains yeah. a lot. Is he good with names? Uh, he's good at faking it. He is, as a matter of fact, because I've I've done like video trainings and stuff like that um, with people who would say smile, like they gesture to me to smile when I'm talking to the camera. And I'm like, but I feel crazy if I'm smiling (laughs) when I'm talking to the camera, though it does look better. And he gave me his trick. He's like, just pretend you're me greeting a a restaurant guest whose name you forgot. And he puts on this big wide smile and says, hey, you. So that's that's the mindset I get into when I'm looking at the camera. Like, hey, to be you, honest, I, I forgot your name. I think, hey, you, <laughs> this sounds like, and I apologize to anybody who knows me who is now listening to this, because that's what I'm going to do. That is the best advice I've probably had on this podcast, Let, next to, of course, registering to vote and voting like your life depends on it. 
Of course, that's way better advice. <laughs> but this is second to that. Second to that, because it'll it comes in handy more than once a year, yes, right? Yes. Or twice a year exactly. if they're like local elections mm -hmm. that you need to deal with. Um, but welcome. Um, you have done so many things in your career, and that's sort of what made you end up writing this book. But like we started out together, well, we followed many paths similarly. Yeah. Um, we uh, worked at Spy Magazine almost concurrently. Um, you, we worked at Nickelodeon. Concurrently. Um, did you ever do any? Concurrently. Um, and we lived near each other in New York City. Yes. And you're the person who told me about your friend, and I'm sorry if they're listening, that you went to Bar C on 6th <laughs> Avenue, also known as Bar 6 to normal people. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yes, when I said, I, it was someone who wasn't my friend, but was a friend's family friend who was known to be pretentious. And when I told him I was moving to 12th Street, he said, ah, oh, right around the corner from Bar Cease. And I said, what? <laughs> Bar Cease. Bar Six? Ah, yes. He's not, he was not French well, in any sense. No, but also the thing to for people who have never even been to New York City, if you are of the food, I mean, if you're listening to this, you obviously have some desire to talk about food or watch food movies or things, but part of Jule, uh, part of Julie and Julia is filmed at Bar Six. There's a scene with Stanley Tucci and the woman playing Meryl Streep playing Julia, where they're in, tucked in this corner as if it's a sexy French bistro. And no, 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 it is Bar Six, Bar Six on Sixth Avenue. And I'd sat in that booth so many times i was like but i know that they should get the hot fudge sunday except it was supposed to be paris oh, but was it's it? you <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no it was supposed to be paris <laughs> not sixth avenue as sexy as sixth avenue is yes. in new york city um don't call it avenue of the americas oh god if you're and, not from new york city right if you call it avenue of the americas you probably also say houston street yes yes exactly in so hue mm -hmm. yeah so for houston just so you know. Um, but it's there that your friend ordered herbal tea, and I will never stop thinking about your friend. Do you remember the story at all? No. They, they had Who a little it? problem pronouncing the tea that's made with small daisy-like flowers that I call chamomile. And what did they and call And your it? friend referred to as chamomile. <laughs> 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 I I recently went to went to dinner with someone I hadn't been to dinner with before and she's a very smart person like you know went to went to Harvard writes for the Harvard um Oh yeah what big a, deal yeah, I'm sorry you know but, but fancy how, schmancy how brains into the conversation did she tell you that she, <laughs> uh, she she definitely leads with it um she's lovely though but she when when the waiter came around to take our order, uh, she asked for the the vegetables, um, the cooked vegetables. She asked for the verdure. They were verdure. Mm -hmm. She was like, I'm going to have the verdure, uh, which is kind of Someone like. didn't take Italian at, mm -mm, Harvard, at Harvard. Exactly. And I'm sure they offered it. Wait, what? what tell me again. Rem say it again, how she pronounced chamomile. <laughs> that's so good when we're done you're gonna have to remind me who it was i don't remember this at all okay so here on the <laughs> here on the secret like cookies we like to make fun of the way people pronounce things my father was a foreigner i spent my life making fun of how people pronounce things mostly my father and i used to correct his pronunciation in, in german so that's a whole other issue uh he was from a german-speaking country um but today we the other thing that we do is um we bake and this is the height of baking season and yes. i am making um brown sugar butter cookies <gasps> that sounds so good if i were yeah, there i would make... be taking all your batter and eating it in front you of you mm -hmm. <laughs> and so i'm just like rolling out like little heart shaped ones because i'm not going to be fussed to do more than that and at some point i'm going to put sprinkles on them because really not to be offensive but sprinkles are the reason for the season mm -hmm. so 
But if anybody's listened to this podcast before, they know that at times I am inappropriate. So speaking of inappropriate, you went to a summer camp that um, shocked me, but only because, not because it was surprising to me what went on at your summer camp, but no. because my mother went to the same summer camp Get or out. one where that happened. Uh, Ms. Belgrade, would you like to explain to people what your summer camp was like? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I hope you're not eating cookies right now or anything yeah. that you need an appetite for. Because uh, this this summer camp was, well, it was part of a group of summer camps that uh, were Quaker and for the most part naked. And they were all in Vermont. And Is there like some acronym for that? Like, like sort of some like, like created a word, naked. like like Quaked? Quaked. Or something. I like, like Quaked. Quakers. Or Naker. Yeah. And, (laughs) um, yeah, so they believed in, I don't remember what the other freedoms were, but they believed in the fifth freedom. They would always quote the fifth freedom, the freedom to wear no clothes. And so the waterfront was entirely naked. Um, so, and we would have, I, the, the camp I went to was an all girls camp. And then down the lake was a boys camp. And we would have co-ed naked rope swing dates with them. No, um, you wouldn't. Yes, Nobody we would. Nobody swings naked. Yes, they do. Chafing alert. And then down the road from that camp was the co-ed, co-ed naked camp for teens. <laughs> Could you not? And then there was Can a someone please follow up with those people for me. <laughs> and and then there was a camp on another lake that would now be canceled called Flying Cloud, um, which was a bunch of white people wearing loincloths and <laughs> and having powwows. Oh no, no. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Wow. Back then it was just these- cultural appreciation. Now it's, you know, another thing. Yeah. Right. There's another thing for for a reason. Yes. <laughs> um, tell me, so um, my mother went to a camp like that back in, I guess it must have been like the late 30s, mm-hmm. um, where they put her on a train and all mm-hmm. by herself. And she would take the train up to Vermont. Mm-hmm. And there, these two stern women mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. made everybody um, nap. You know, or to have their son, they would have to take the son because there was, um, I guess, polio was going around and other diseases and they needed to get their vitamin D. So they were all over, all over. And they were told to um, sun themselves every day nude. Now, my mother, a New Yorker like yourself, Mm -hmm. um, I don't think ever was fully naked again the rest of her life as a yeah. result of this camp and yeah. certainly hated the outdoors. Um, how, how does a girl respond to a place like that? Yeah. I, I responded literally the same a way. girl, a girl. Yes. A girl. Right. I, it's, it might be tempting to call them women um, with a, with a Y or W I M M I N, but they were, we were <laughs> girls. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, I think it had the same effect on me. And like, I, I don't think I've been fully naked since then. I probably take off one, you know, the top first and replace it. And then the bottoms, uh, no one's seeing me Which naked. Which is a skill in me. and of itself. It is. It that is. is a skill in and of itself. <laughs> we, should, we should all have that skill, but still. Um, anyway, fast forward. Um, I'm going to fast forward to the fact that you wrote this book. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. And I'd, I'd like to talk to you about, um, just like the basic premise of this very, very brilliant book, which I, which I hope no one's listening to this who gets it for Christmas because I'm giving it to you for Christmas, all of you. Um, I'm a little late to this book. I will say that, although I've been following you studiously on the, the uh, public uh, socially media type places, um, fervently watch, uh, seeing you rocket to success. Your book is now like, like a Goodreads or best 
bestseller, USA Today bestseller. Correct. USA Today bestseller. I don't mean to hide your light under a bushel like that Quaker camp didn't want to either. No, there were no bushels, just bush. And (laughs) a lot of it. Uh, Ginger bush too, like right in my face. Um, That's another, that's in the book. I think that's in the book. You are cooking. Yeah, I want to. It is in the book. Yeah. Let's let's save some things for the book. Yes. Yes. When you read Tough Titties, you'll know what we're talking about. But uh, uh, yes. Okay. So Tough Titties is a USA Today bestseller, which makes it, I learned this, that makes it a national bestseller, um, which is very exciting. So I like to say the national bestseller. It's kind of, it's very arbitrary and ridiculous, all these kind of honors. Um, And uh, Best of Audible. No, no, no. Own them. Yeah, I own I Best own of it. Audible. I own it. Best of Audible that I will own um for sure. And because I narrated it and I think I did a damn good job. And then uh and then recently came in fourth in the Goodreads Choice Awards. In fourth in its but in its category, like, humor. Right, but who was number one? Number one was Arthur Fonzarelli, Mr. Henry Winkler. Thank you. Other, otherwise right. known so as, like, like these days, the kids know him as Gene Costano, I think. Um, Cousineau, yes. Costano, Cousineau? Cousineau. Um, Cousineau uh, on Barry, and he's awesome on that. But I am, someone pointed out that I was, I was the only one. I beat everyone who was not a series regular on a TV show. Okay, there you go. So, That's pretty, pretty serious. And as yeah. someone who in their past life worked at Nick at night. What did it feel like to be that? Like you, you could have been compared to you compare yourself to Arthur Fonzarelli. Yeah, that was, that was kind of special. It felt like a full circle moment, actually. Okay. I, I couldn't, <laughs> I, I couldn't deny him that because since I came from a place of worshiping Arthur Fonzarelli, an institution that it, worshiped him. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I never really did much of anything for Nick at night, but I did, I was pretty solid with the Nickelodeon stuff. Yeah. Um, but you got in with the cool kids at Nick at night and, um, you tell people a little bit because I know there are probably a lot of, still a lot of huge fans of Nick at night, of blessed memory, Nick at night. Right. Yeah. Um, when we would watch like Wilbur and, um, you know, Mr. Ed and, yes. uh, <laughs> I just had painters to my house named Wilbur and I spent most of my time wanting to go Wilbur <laughs> because... <laughs> but tell me about like what it felt like to get that job because you'd been in and out of a bunch of I don't know some good jobs I mean yeah you know spy magazine not, not too shabby yeah, but, but then I, Nick yeah. and Knight sort of scratched an itch, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I kind of I sucked at my job at Spy. I was a terrible intern. I got in there through and by way of an internship, um, and was a pretty terrible intern. Like interns are supposed to be bright eyed and bushy tailed and get there early and anticipate the editor's needs and do whatever they're told and everything. And I was more like wander in at, you know, 11 and try and get the gossip pack together. I just couldn't get anywhere on time. Uh, I think I had to work out in the morning. So, um, it, it was very important to me to get in my like step class or whatever before, before I got to work. And, uh, and, and, and I wasn't willing to get up super early to do it. So, and the, thi- the thing about that internship is we were expected to come up with ideas. Like they wanted to give us opportunities. They wanted to, they wanted us to uh, prove ourselves and become editors, associate editors. And so this was a great opportunity. And I kept not thinking of anything to, I kept not coming up with any ideas and, I remember the managing editor, Marion, took me to lunch and told me, Hi, Marion. Hi, Marion. And she told me over miso soup, she said, you know, you can take initiative here. And I was like, oh, Jesus. I was like that. I think being told to take initiative is probably probably means that you don't have any. And uh, so I spent the rest of my time trying to take initiative, but it never came to me. And, um, and then I was lucky enough to get a job on the ad side. 
because as you know, we were all one big happy family, like one, they didn't have that separation of church and state at that magazine. So they knew me over there from me doing my constant schmooze laps. That's all I did as an intern. I don't think they had that separation because they couldn't afford two floors. Right, exactly. The real estate. (laughs) (laughs) The models were on the floor below. below. That was a modeling agency. And then we had that one floor. Um, And so they gave me... They gave me a job. I think they, you know, probably felt sorry for me and said, we'll take her. And that's where they gave me a a copywriting assignment. I didn't even know what it was. I just knew it was a a page in the magazine. It was an advertorial. It was an assignment that nobody on the editorial side wanted. But I was like, sure, I'll take it. And so I wrote an advertorial for Spy um, that was for doers, Scotch. And so that was the one time at that place that I felt like, oh, this is what I'm good at this. I'm good at writing short, funny things that all go on one page. And then getting that job at <laughs> at Nickelodeon, getting a job in TV promos was a dream come true because I didn't even know the promos existed until until right until Adam Dolgens, who I worked with at Spy, and I think you did too, right? Um, yes, he, I did. He had gone from Spy to VH1, and came, and I was working with his wife Jana at New York Magazine, and he that that's where I went after Spy, and he came to have lunch with us and told us about his new job, and. Hmm. Uh, he said he was, I, I was like, tell me what you're doing. And he said, I'm writing promos at VH1. I said, what are promos? And he was like, well, you know, it's like, you know, those little things during the commercials that are a commercial for the show or for the network. Like basically, uh, he said, I write those. Basically, I watch a lot of TV and the, then write these short, funny things that go in the commercials. I was like, like, oh my God, that's a job. I need that job. And it was the 90s. So he was able to get me that job. He was like, sure, come on in and meet the editorial director. And um, she, you know, I met her and she was like, sure, I can give you a job. Like, here's an assignment. And and it pays a, you know, a few thousand dollars. I was like, what? And what? yeah, <laughs> um, this was insane to me. So um, it would be insane to us now. Yes. Yes. I I, I couldn't believe the job existed in the first place. So the fact that it paid that kind of money too, it was, yeah. So that was my foot in the door. And um, then I became aware of promos and knew that I loved the ones on Nick at night and was dying to work there. I was like, those are the ones I really want to write. And, uh, someone, someone brought me into Nickelodeon, um, like just a connection, a friend's friend. And I wrote some off air stuff there, some radio quizzes for the Munsters and then ended up getting in to Nick at night, um, by way of a friend who came in to, well, he, he was looking for the Munsters tapes and I was sitting in a room watching them. Sitting on, yeah, say sitting, hi to Bruce. Yes, hi Bruce. Bruce. Bur- hi, Bruce Bernstein. Uh, I was sitting there like hoarding Munster's tapes and watching them trying to write trivia questions. And he wandered into the room. He's like, Oh, so you're the one who has all the Munster's tapes. And uh, he, he's like, Can I? I was like, Oh, yeah, I guess you can. He's like, Can I take them? I'm like, No, I need them. He's like, Well, then can I sit and watch them with you? And I said, Okay. So we sat down, plopped on a beanbag chair. And started, um, you know, stopping it, pausing it. I was like, what are you doing? It's like, I'm taking notes because I'm writing a chapter of the Nick at Night book. And my chapter is the Munsters. And I was like, wait, that's a job? And uh, I was like, how can I get that job? And he's like, I think there might be a chapter or two left. Let me introduce you to Tom. And he introduced me right then and there. He's like, come down the hall. So he introduced me to the editorial director, Tom Hill who did indeed have Hi, a Tom chapter. Hill. Hi, Tom Hill. He had a chapter left. It was Bewitched. And he was like, do you want to write a Bewitched chapter? I was like, yes, I do. So he told me to send him some of my stuff, which I did. And he said, okay, you're hired. My past self, I have to say my past self, who is crawling around there at about that time, wants to just 
hit me. I wish I'd been that person. Yeah, I want to hit you. <laughs> I, I know. I mean, a little. Because Bewitched was absolutely my favorite show. Mine too. As a kid. I loved and Bewitched. I, th- I just think the people, like, as hearing you, I've spent a lot of time talking about, like, to, like, my students and stuff. Like, oh, what does it mean to, like, like what is promos and stuff like that? And hearing what the promo writer's job is come out of somebody else's mouth mm. makes me think that maybe I'm, wow, what a great job we had. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it was an amazing job. I mean, truly a dream job because I always I always wanted to do something in TV, but I didn't feel like I had a a script in me, an idea for a show, people would say, I was handed opportunities. Like, you know, friend Tim, our friend Tim from um, Spy went on to write for The Simpsons. And so did another editor. And both of them said to me, oh, we need women writers on the show. Just write a spec script for anything. And basically you'll get a job at The Simpsons. And I was like, "Um, I don't really have any ideas. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, um, but, but promos, but instead, that felt so doable. Yeah, but promos, so doable. It was, it's something about, I, I don't know, like the lazy person's way of like mm-hmm. writing a television script. And by that, I mean, it's not that lazy. It involves a lot of hard work and creativity. And um, perhaps you'd like to tell people about what, what it was like to be in the writer's room to read your script, which is actually one of the things I also think back on and go, I did that. Yeah. Yeah. It was daunting. It was daunting. And I think usually friendly and friendly. I mean, it was, it was pretty fun. And I think I wasn't scared of it at first because my first promo that I was hired for, for Nick at night Um, you know, like Tom had the editorial director who hired me, he had already gone over it and, and said it was good. And so I felt confident about it. And I brought it into the writer's meeting. I think that's the first one that I read out loud. And there there. were 20 people in a room. Yeah. 20 people in a room sitting, all sitting around a table and either they laugh. Yes. With opinions. And so this one, my first one went really well and got laughs. And I remember Amy Friedman looked at me and said, who are you? Which was my dream come true. Someone like me reading a script out loud and someone saying to me, who are you? Like you dazzling, incredible genius. Um, So, so for a long time, I was not daunted. And then and then came, you know, scripts that were that didn't go over as well. And then I think it became more intimidating. Like after I got, because sometimes, so you could get a laugh, you could get a lot of laughs, you could get people clapping, or you could get people saying like, "Hmm, okay, what if this, this is so not copy? But what if it went like this?" And they would rewrite your script and usually do it terribly. Um, they would always preface it with like, "This isn't. This is so not copy." But and then they would give you a terrible idea. Or they would say, like, they would say, they would give you terrible ideas, like, I'm hearing a record scratch. I want a record (laughs) scratch in there. Like, I will not, I have dignity. I have too much dignity to put a record scratch into the spot. Uh, Or, or there were, there were always the second guessers who are like, you know, I could see the mom in, you know, the mom in the middle of the country watching the spot and not getting it or being offended. And that was right. the, that was the, that was the feedback that rubbed me the most wrong. <laughs> like I was, I would always be like, it's not for, okay. We'll forget them. It's for the smart people. Uh, and that always annoyed me so much. You're never smart. People yeah. deserve things too. Yes, on TV. exactly. But you, you got to work with all sorts of like stars too, like Sherman Helmsley. Yes. from The Jeffersons. Yeah, um, I taught him to and, moonwalk on set. I know you're cringing, but, <laughs> but you also had an encounter that the fact that I also missed out on this, I, I had a bit of a shudder when I read your encounter with Adam West from Batman. 
Just Adam? you want to just can you can you do it in in some sort of like breathy Adam West tone so I, everybody here can have a little bit of the ASMR I think I can. of Adam West in yes. your ear? Yes, I mean he was as um, reputed a real ladies' man. We were told watch out for Adam West. I mean, he even had a handler in the room to make sure he didn't go astray and get handsy get handsy um (laughs) and uh I remember telling him like uh because I had written the scripts and I said you're doing such a great job I'm loving this and he's and he bit his lower lip looked at me and goes it's the words it's the words and then uh and then when we when we wrapped he whispered in my ear I'll see you in the bat cave. (laughs) So to anybody out there who watched Batman as much as I did growing up, that's just, just completely, um, that's just something. That's all I'm saying. Is everybody as sexy as you thought was. I'm going to see you in the bat cave. Mm -hmm. Um, Why did you write this book? Well, which I, is, uh-huh. I have to say, yeah. in the history of like questions you're not supposed to ask people <laughs> when you're interviewing them who've just written a book, that is, I think it's number one. Yeah. And well, yes, it's number one. It's, and yet it's the one that you're supposed to be able to answer really easily. First of all, when you're selling you the can't. book, like why, why this book? Why you? Why now? Why are you the person to write this book? And, um, Really, my answer has only been because I wanted to write a book. I've always wanted to write a book. I've been talking about writing a book since at least the early 2000s and probably before then. I mean, I had journals that I tried to write in regularly and would say it's for my book. Um, I I went out with someone who wasn't that intelligent who would tell me, oh, this is going to be great in your Oscar book, your Oscar winning book. Like books don't win Oscars. But yeah, yeah. So, but they seem nice. Um, I, maybe I could t- like uh, let me help. Okay, yeah, help please help me. Because, help me. But I just think it puts. I, I think it puts. It's it's a ridiculously stupid question to ask. So, no. um, let me just jump in there it's just and hard say to answer. It's hard. It's a, it's hard to answer, but it's also like this book, and and maybe you'll sort of balk at this, but. I never was a sex in the city type person because it seemed so fakey. Yeah. Like I just couldn't bear it. But your book is like real sex in the city. Thank in you. In all the good ways. And that's what I, I mean, and also that you're like funnier than they are. And it's such a great coming of age book um, at exactly that time. when, um, And it's just so much, it's so spot on in the way that it depicted depicts life it's almost like you really lived it Laura. <laughs> and um, <laughs> um it's it's really tremendous where do you, where are you now like in, like what are you doing mm-hmm. in the big wide world so i have a company called talking shrimp and it is i'm known for copywriting being a copywriter. And I've, I segued a long time ago from TV promos, which I loved very much into writing, helping people with their own businesses to write their copy, all the words that they need on their websites, their emails, everything that they use to market themselves, promote themselves, to sell what they sell, offer their services, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so I got into that world in around 2010 and that's what my company does. Like I used to do it one-on-one, um, help people like private clients. And then I kind of retired from that and started just selling courses. I sell digital courses that help people write and find, find the words to express themselves through their businesses. Basically, my holy grail of work is getting paid to be yourself, like paid to be you is my thing. And so I try to help people to get as close as humanly possible to doing that. And so that's what Talking Shrimp is about. And 
as a person in that world, I was expected to write a very different book. Um, that I was expected to write a copywriting book or a marketing book or a how-to or a self-help book or something that would be in the self-help book, which is a joke to me because I feel like a hot mess always. And I was like, no, I want to write the opposite of a self-help book. I want to write a hot mess book, which is what Tough Titties (laughs) is. And true to the title, which kind of refers to my attitude of towards all the supposed to's in life. Like so-and-so thinks you should do it this way. Yeah, well, tough titties. Um, <laughs> I, I said tough titties to writing the kind of book I was supposed to write, the kind of book that would probably be smart to write for my business, like something with a quiz uh, or a QR code in the back to come take the quiz on my website and find out like how tough are your titties. Um, and I was very much not interested in that. So yeah, I really, I stuck to my guns and wrote, a memoir and essays, basically about yeah, as you pointed out, coming of age in New York in the eighties, nineties, early aughts, and screwing up at all kinds of things, and taking the more windy path. Definitely not a straight one to what uh, uh, some some form of success. I, I mean, my life's not over, but the book has an arc to it. The book does have an arc to it, <laughs> but it also it is it is the most satisfying read because it's so honest and funny Thank which, you. you know those are two great things when they can go together um <laughs> i i think the phrase that i wrote down here because i i actually take like notes and stuff like um, wow. i talk to people yeah it's really good i'm like super professional good um thanks um I, the phrase i loved was i'm talented but bad at life <laughs> And hence, you're the one cooking. And yeah, but you're the one, you know, yeah. with a fantastic apartment still on um, in New York City. Um, also, the phrase I really liked, which I think if I like tattoos, I might get it, which would be, but probably all in like the wrong Chinese characters, which probably <laughs> would be the best way to do it, what would be slow ass, foot dragging, late blooming mofo. Right? <laughs> condense the last phrase just for our more delicate readers our listeners yeah, um, yeah. I think that really uh, maybe it's because I saw myself in that statement that I uh, appreciate it so much thank you they're just great words yeah thank you and I think it would fit <laughs> on a forearm I mean I think that's you know yeah it would look nice form. right and, yeah. yes and probably be more condensed if you did it in German there might be one word for all that in fact, that's a really good question. I'm going to ask. ask <laughs> if anybody out there speaks German, please ask mm-hmm. me. Please t- let us know if there's a word out there that condenses mm-hmm. slow ass foot dragging, uh, late blooming mofo. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there is. There's got to be. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be. So, do you do you do you feel successful? I do. You and look the, successful. Everybody, she looks successful. She thank looks you fantastic. so she much. Very lovely complexion, Laura. <laughs> thank just you. Very lovely complexion. Thank you. I moisturize a lot. And uh, I mean, back when we knew each other, that's when I stopped tanning, when I was like 25, 26. Uh, so I, I thank um, Kelly and Brenda on 90210 for giving me the courage to be pale back then. Like pale, pale with a choker. Do you feel that 90210 was an important influence in your life, maybe like more than college or? Yeah. I mean, I watched it during college. We would have room to rooms Mm -hmm. where we watched in one room, we'd watch 90210. And in the other room, we'd watch Law and Order, not Law and Order, uh, LA Law. (laughs) Um, We would go from one room to the other, like during a commercial for one, go to the other. It was hard. Like we didn't have... I mean, if only we'd had DVRs then or streaming. Kids don't know. But uh, yes, 90210 for sure has had an influence. (laughs) Melrose Place also had an influence because that was always my ideal of how a person should live. Like I've, and I still fantasize about it. I want to live in an apartment complex with a bunch of friends where we all meet at the pool. You know, we all meet on our way out to teach, you know, funk aerobics or go to our job. (laughs) Completely. I think. And all sleep together. I mean, yeah. 
there's something about those apartment complexes in LA that I really just, I feel like I want to experience that at some point in my life. Yeah. I mean, maybe, I guess that's what retirement communities are. Oh, I know. Suddenly it's not sounding. I know it doesn't sound so fun to (laughs) be at a place called Grove Isle and, um, Mrs. Sheboygan and, yes, yeah. went too far with her walker this morning exactly. and she fell in the pool. She tried oh, to oh use heavy God. hands. I told her not to. <laughs> Don't use heavy hands in the pool, sweetie. No. Don't do it. It'll be a disaster. <laughs> it's perfect. Exactly. So I, I think your question was, do I feel successful now? And um, I do, but it's always... But there are days when I don't feel successful. It's so up and down. I mean, my I wish I had a steadier sense of self and and success. But do you I'm, think anybody does? Yeah, I, anybody I know does. one person, just one person okay. who's so steady in her self confidence. Um, my friend Susie, it's it's insane. But most other people are pretty up and down in theirs. And having a book out is a great way to shake your sense of self-worth for like a good couple of years. Really? In oh, a yeah. good way? No, no. Um, I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel very accomplished that I did it and very happy about that. And I would feel unhappy with myself if I still hadn't, but every day brings new opportunities to either be pleasantly surprised or bummed out, um, like hopelessly bummed out that someone else got some accolades, some prize, some mention that you didn't get, or, uh, that's, I don't look at my, I don't look at my reviews, um, on like Amazon. I mean, I don't mean good because you shouldn't. No, I'm saying because it's, it's unhealthy. I, I actually, this week, have found myself, or actually the past two, maybe three weeks, have found myself pulling back from social media because mm-hmm. there's just, oh. I, I don't, it's may, it might not, mm-hmm. it might be a little dispiriting all that social media just, stuff. Just, I'm throwing it out there. <laughs> Do with it, like you, you can take it and run with it. You know, it's an interesting Rick theory. Roll used to say, Take it. Used to say, take Take it. it. I'm not using it. Take it. I'm not using it. Rick Roll being one of the funniest people ever, and the uh, funniest ever. And then he would say, "You're not my nurse." That was his (laughs) go-to line. (laughs) Which I, which everyone should. Just a great statement to come out with, just randomly wherever you are. Just our fifth day at sea. Yeah. That was another of his. He said, "Tis our fifth day at sea. The captain has taken a liking to me." And then he would look up and say, "You're not my nurse," which sounds exhausting, but it was hilarious. I loved it. It was hilarious, yeah. and I think we should all maybe try that next time you're at the grocery. Just turn around to the person behind you or to the checkout person. So, <laughs> you're not my nurse, and just see how that goes over. People need a little more of this in their life. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I agree. I'm actually going to start bringing that back. Yeah, D'Agostino <laughs> and Citarella. I'm going to try it with the, the with the cashier at Citarella. When they tell <laughs> me how much when they tell me how much the blueberries are, I just gonna look dizzy and say, "You're not my nurse." <laughs> and then take them and leave. Yeah, right. Um, I'm not encouraging shoplifting. No, I'm sorry. I, I saw someone get upgraded on, uh, I don't know, some platform that I was looking at today, social media platform, where they're like, I like to fake it in the checkout line by using an old defunct um, debit card every time I use the self-checkout. They can't catch me. I just go back and I, you know, use a real card if someone catches me and someone's like, what? you are getting people fired and whatever. That's not, yeah, that's not a good thing to brag about. This was, was this on threads? It was on threads.net. Threads.net said <laughs> slash a, aka not Twitter, aka not X. Um, Elon free, uh, Elon free Twitter, I guess. Though for a place that's supposed to be Elon free, people really like talking about Elon and they how do. it is Elon free. Like, like it's like the old bad boyfriend and they can't stop talking about him. 
Yes. Well, I feel lately that's what all the platforms are like to me, Um, especially Instagram feels like an old bad boyfriend that used to be so nice to me and shower me with love and affection and approval and is now like just withholding. And I'm just living for a crumb of love, which I get once once in a great while, but otherwise none. I'm like, remember when you used to be so nice? Things were so good in the beginning. And it was, and it was so good between us, Yeah, you know, and now that's and sort of what I was saying about social media in general right now. It's yeah. just, it's just really hard to get the love I, I need from the outside world. I know. I know. You think like that's up to us. To Am I supposed to just say tough love? titties? Tough to titties. All? Yes. Yeah. You should, you, wait, wait. So I'm supposed to, so, okay, so I'm supposed to be doing this for myself. Is, mm-hmm. is that a big takeaway? Yeah. <laughs> supposed You're to be supposed this, but... to have your own internal sense of self-worth that is not reliant on other people's approval or the algorithms. But I have no idea yeah, how I... to get that. Me neither. Um, I will say that one of the chapters I really loved so much in your book um was about going to that sort of self-help group <laughs> and what that was like. <laughs> and that's all I'll say, people, is that um, whether you, I mean, I have to say in sort of summar- summar- summing things up, I hope people will um, please, 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 um, if not read your book, listen to your book. Haven't you enjoyed Laura's voice today? Um, you can have can it for eight hours. Walk the dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you like walking the dog with people? I mean, that's there's something very intimate about being the audible reader. You get car yes. trips. You get to go with people um, and walk their dogs with them. I really do think, especially over like the holidays, it's just going to make you, and I'm talking to you, meaning the people out there in Secret Life of Cookie Land, feel a lot better about yourself. That, you know, it's just, everything's okay. And if mm-hmm. it's not, tough titties. What a perfect button. You must be a promo writer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I just have one more question for you. Yes. Which is, um, and it's from your book. And um, I will also say that while we haven't spoken uh, much other than like passing notes on social media here and there, um, I did actually once go to, uh, I think it was Passover. Seder at your house. <gasps> That's right. Where I sort of, uh, where I got to meet your family, your lovely, yes. lovely family, including your wonderful, amazing father. Um, and um, in the book, you mentioned that he used that he um, would buy short sleeve. Uh, suits and I really want to know if that's true. It is true. It is absolutely true. Short sleeve suits. You can like hear the boom chicka wow wow when you <laughs> if you picture them. Uh, yeah, he would buy these at a place called Foad, which it only mm-hmm. recently occurred to me was supposed to be like fashion forward. But everyone, it was called FOAD. It was like forward without the R. Uh, <laughs> but I think, was, and just one day you were like walking down the street, and you're like, "Oh, well, that's what it means." Yes, yeah, pretty much. Um, but he he loved this place. It was on 96 and Broadway, and he loved his suits from the rack outside. And every time I try, like I was a, I'd become a little snot. Uh, and very conscious <laughs> about, you know, labels. And it was the, it was the era of designer jeans and Benetton and all that, Fiorucci. And uh, I really wanted him to get suits, start buying his clothes from Bloomingdale's, like a normal person. And he would say, right. he would say, you like designers? Uh, you know, how, how do you feel about Pierre Cardin? And then he would open his suit and show me the lining. And it was indeed Pierre Cardin. But um, he would say it like, you know, like Kardashian. Um, I I will go look up what a picture of a suit with short sleeves looks like. Look it up. You know, it didn't really take off, but at least your father was his own man. 
He was. Well, he he would never wear long sleeves, anything. I mean, even after the short sleeve suits were gone, it was always insisted on short sleeve shirts. That was his holy grail. Short sleeve shirts with uh, Dacron cotton with a pocket. Had to have a pocket for his index cards. Had to have a pocket. Mm -hmm. My father had to have a pocket for his his, um, retractable uh, mechanical pencil. Uh It was key to make sure that the point was a retractable point so it didn't poke a hole through the pocket. Smart. So I hope people realize how much they're learning today. Always important when you're buying your mechanical pencil for your friends for Christmas Mm -hmm. to make sure that the pointy bit retracts. That's right. And to... Um, I owe you a lot of cookies and I thank you for writing this book, which really, truly uh, was brilliant and amused me no end. Thank Um, you. And I'm sure, (laughs) and it's not just me, Laura, they love you. (laughs) The world loves you and they love your book. Thank you. Almost as much as they love Fonzie. Almost. Close. I'm not going to compare myself. Thank you you for that. No. No. Everyone, there's enough, there's enough people in the world we can have, and enough books, we can have both those books. Okay, Laura, we can have both those books. That's right. We could, it's, it's not pie. There's enough for everybody. Although there, there might be enough pie for everybody, even like in your kitchen there where you're baking stuff. So, or enough cookies, there's enough cookies at any rate. There definitely is. And there should always be enough cookies. Um, Thank you so much for coming on this evening. (laughs) Amen. Thank you for having me. And I think we should we should dedicate this to the memory of John Connolly, one of Spy's most notorious and truly lovely, if very highly scented, mm-hmm. in his aftershave um, yes. employees. Retired Rest in, police re- cop. <laughs> Rest in fragrance, <laughs> my friend. Rest in fragrance. He used to give me... Um, bouquets of Tootsie Pops. Did he give you bouquets he of Tootsie Pops? He did not give me bouquets of Tootsie Pops. And I feel like, wow, why not me, John Connolly? Now, now I have a Let's not besmirch him. Yeah, no. Let's, we, let's we not besmirch his name. Yes. Um, thank you very much for being here. Um, and please, everybody out there, I really heartily recommend, heartily, not hardly, I heartily, heartily. recommend this book and some elocution lessons for myself. Thanks for joining us. You can find Laura's book, Tough Titties, wherever fine books are sold, or listen to it on Audible, or gosh, do both. You can follow her on social media, such as Threads, where she is Laura Belgray at threads.net. And please, be a kind soul and help the algorithm by leaving a nice review of this year podcast on Apple. Thank you, and have a great week.